My name is Roy Malloy and you are listening to The Dawn of Crime, a podcast that's dedicated to offering biography to the people who have added their shifty crookery to make Australia what it is today. I uh, hope that this humble podcast adds a little bit of flavour to the world we live in and that offers some unknown biographies to people that sit back in their armchairs and go, wow, that's amazing. I think some of the things that we cover in this podcast are truly amazing. Um, But this is a podcast extra. It's not the usual kind. So I try and interview um, academics or people who have a serious passion for one particular topic. But then I also try and vary it up a little bit and add some content here and there that's just for the pure sake of interest. Now, very recently I have published my fourth book in the Dawn of Crime series. My ninth book in total. But I've been publishing a series called The Dawn of Crime for a year now. Since, since the beginning of 2020, I thought to myself, I wanted to publish a book series that gave a place where I could dump biographies that I'd compiled. Um, I love writing. I love researching. My, my Zen place is staring at a page of data, scrolling with my eyes, just looking for one name, one date. It's, I have to say it's like hunting. It's it's where you're just you're trawling through and you lose track of time and space in the intensity of that search. And that, that for me is just, that's my zen, right? So the dawn of crime is more or less, it's a means, it's a means to an end, but it's just, it propels and continues the cycle where I can just get back to the bit that I love, which is the research. So in my research, right, I come up with all these fascinating little tidbits and I'm going to give you some of them now. These tidbits are literally are just, um, I don't know how to say it. They're, they're just the things that happened that you can't necessarily, um, I've got nowhere to put them. <laughs> so I'm going to give you right a, um, a list of things that used to be present but aren't now. So this is the history extra where I'm just giving you a podcast where I talk about the things that were everyday items in the old days. There's a whole bunch of jobs that fall into that category as well. Uh, the the knocker-upper. <laughs> there was a job called a knocker-upper. Now, we have a colloquialism to get knocked up means to get up the duff, uh, to get pregnant, uh, and usually not because you chose to start a family, but the knocker-upper had nothing to do with that. He was a dude who, were, his, his primary job was to wake people up. That's what their, their actual task was to wake people up. But the, the way they did it, right, knocking is a part of it. The, the, you live in a, let's say, I don't know, one of the older suburbs. So Fitzroy is the first suburb of Melbourne. Uh, the Rocks in Sydney is probably another good example. Um, and so what you do is you leave a note on your front door, literally stuck to your door saying, please wake me at. And this dude would walk around just after midnight and he'd make a note of where all the houses were that had left a note out. Then at the net, you know, when it was time, he'd knock on your window till you came out. And uh, you'd come downstairs with the payment for him waking you, right? Problem with that is, instantly, right, I've got so, so many friends I would play that prank on. I'd leave the note on their door. Shane, uh, Shane Gordon, the comedian who's on this show from time to time, Shane, you would be chief among the people I would wake at, I'm going to say 3am. That'd be a, I don't know, he's a professional cricket coach. I reckon he's up jogging at that time anyway but you get the idea and it's probably the same said for the milkman 
Uh, I remember my dad saying to me, uh, I said to him, why don't we get milk home delivered anymore? And he said, and his exact quote was, because the bogans around here steal the milk. I won't tell you where, <laughs> I won't tell you where we were living at the time. Um, but that was my dad's exact words, because the bogans around here steal the milk. So, you know, there's a couple of jobs there for you. The, the milk delivery guy and the knocker-upper, both doing home service. Now, another job, I mean, this is your livelihood, let's remember, right? I would hope this guy owns the venue, but there is a bowling alley pin setter. P-I-N-S-E-T-T-E-R, pin setter. So the bowling alley pin setter is a guy who, as it sounds, resets the pins every time you bowl a ball. So let's say you have a 10 alley bowling alley. If you owned the venue, I would imagine you'd try and get it, pay as few people as you could. That's just good business. So you'd have maybe one guy for every two lanes. But if it's busy, you're going to have one dude standing at the end of every single lane, resetting the pins. But this is also an era of slavery, <laughs> so mm, people probably weren't very perturbed. And I, I feel really self-conscious about a dude at the end of the lane resetting my pins. I would. I love a machine. I love. I miss bowling. I haven't been bowling in years. I do it online now, but not, not quite the same. Back to people who home-delivered stuff is the Iceman. Such a cool name, isn't it? The Iceman. This is a dude who um, delivers ice, but ice wasn't, refrigeration in general wasn't you know, readily accessible. So you bring around a block of ice and you would put it in your, usually uh, you'd have like a, a cupboard with a, uh, a pantry attached to it and there'd be a small box inside it that had metal lining and on the other side of that metal would be often wool or cotton and then another layer of metal because it insulates it. And then everything you want to keep is either in that box or beneath it. So the Iceman. So the ice boxes, the Iceman. There's yeah, another one for you. I'm, I'm going to finish this podcast by talking about catchers. And catchers, by catchers I mean the kind of guy who catches stuff. We, we live in a world, in Australia particularly, where we don't have a lot of stray animals. Now... I was, I was talking to Knuckles tonight about a cat that comes around our place, and uh, it rows loud. It's it's on heat, and we get the, you know that almighty row looking for our cats. Who our cats are well spayed. I mean they haven't had they haven't had beans and crackers for years, but we get you know, clearly can smell those cats in the house. And this I don't know is it, is it tomcats or female cats? I don't know. I think it's a tomcat, and they get around rowing looking for. So that for us is unusual that there's one cat in the area that comes around. It's probably owned. It might have a tag on it. It's just not spayed. But prior to an era in the late 1940s and 50s, 60s, uh, there were, I'm going to call them vermin animal. There was cats and dogs everywhere, but also then rats and mice. Just because they were unchecked. And poisoning them was usually arsenic. And you put straight up arsenic and you'd put it in... Uh, whatever food you're trying to attract them with. So if it's, you know, a mice or a, a rat, you put it in a bit of cheese, and then they go away and die. It's a horrible way to die. I mean, for a man, woman, child, or animal to die from arsenic poisoning, that's a pretty brutal way to go. But that, that's how they did it, right? Wasn't effective enough. And, you know, in that era where microbiology became respected, governments and councils realised that animals uh, and human waste were making people really unwell, right? 
So what did they do? They paid people to be the dog catcher. Now, I, I grew up watching Hanna-Barbera cartoons and, um, you know, the, those Warner Brothers cartoons where you get the, the, cat, the dog catcher. He's a sinister-looking guy with a paddy wagon and, uh, you know, a, a stick with a net on the end. And, and they were a real thing. Uh, usually men, I, I can't, I don't, I've never come across an example of a woman doing that job. I'm sh- I, I'd like to hope that there was, but I don't know, I've just never heard of it. Um, in the comments, if you, if you uh, can reference one, history nerds, um, <laughs> I'd like to be proven wrong on that one. But, you know, dog catchers, rat catchers, mice catchers, cat catchers, uh, they were a real thing, alright? So catchers in general, they were rife and they were doing their job, doing their bit for the community. Um, uh, and so when, when I talked about just a moment ago that human waste was a, a real problem, cholera is the kind of thing you get from drinking water around human waste. And it, it came in waves. Like, there's some pretty famous research that was done at the ground level by Booth in England, and he, he charted you know, where people lived and how poor they were and, and so forth. And then you get in an era where they start to say, well, we can narrow down that people are getting sickest around this well, and this well is closest to a privy. So, you know, we get, we get that kind of 18, late 1800s, mid to late 1800s idea that, you know, being around human excrement is going to make you sick. Now, for me, that, that's a pretty obvious get, you know, it's, that's low-hanging fruit, but people weren't playing with the same equipment back then as they are now. Um, and so then there's another job. I'm going I'm to relate this to a personal family story of mine. But there's a job which is the... Um, he gets a lot of names. I knew, I knew this person as the Night Soilman. Night Soil. Now, Night Soil is where you have a Thunderbox. A Thunderbox is an outdoor toilet with no plumbing. And my dad had an uncle. So this is my great-uncle. My grandmother's brother lived in Coburg. And I knew this guy when I was a child. And I was born in 1975. I have a vague memory, a very vague memory of being in his house before I turned five. Had to have been then because we went overseas when I was about four and a half. And I have a vague memory of being in this house and being just terrified of his outdoor toilet and the spiders that lurked therein. Now, the night soilman, I was later told by my dad, was still servicing that toilet all the way up until the late 60s. So you come around the laneway behind the house, and now, now I say this, you'll know lots of suburbs where you get uh, a house facing a street, obviously, but at its back fence, there's a service laneway, and it's only wide enough for a horse and cart. One-way traffic. And then the back fence of the next house touches the other side, and it faces the street on the other side of the block. That's because both of them, every day, whenever you had a full bucket of human waste... You'd take it and put it in the laneway. He would put it in a great big truck with a, a vat on the back. And he'd cart it off to be processed. That's the night soilman. Now, this, this last story is a family story. It's a family treasure. And uh, my dad was telling me all about the night soilman. But he, he said that he lived in Coburg in, what would this be then? The 1950s, early 60s. And he was living with his parents. And my old granny, Olive... 
She was a good woman. She was a church minister herself. Very good preacher. She was a church minister's wife. Holy woman. Very caring, empathetic woman. And she put the night soil out for the night soilman. And he grabbed the bucket with a probably a bit too much gusto. Getting his job done. And he heaved it up. I, I imagine it landed on his shoulder. And the bottom of the bucket, which was old and rusted gave way and it drenched him in the contents of the bucket so then he went banging on the back fence in the early hours of the morning until my granny came out she said what, what's going on and he told, he told her he said look I've, I am now wearing your poop <laughs> can I please have some assistance in cleaning myself. I don't know what words to use, but this is as the story goes. And my grandma said, sure, come in, have a shower. And uh, she washed, washed his clothes, hung them out. I don't know how dry they got, but she washed his clothes for him. She may have given him some old clothes to wear for my grandpa, I don't know. But she washed his clothes, I know that bit, let him shower, and then off he went. So then my grandpa came home from work. He was the principal of a training college for church ministers at the time. And he came home and he said, how was your day, love? And she said, well, the night soilman, and he apparently lost his lid, saying you should have just squirted him down in the laneway. (laughs) So that's that's so fully harsh. I think Granny did the right thing. I mean, if if you've got to do that terrible, awful job, I reckon that's the right thing. Well done, Olive. You did the right thing. So guys, this has been the Dawn of Crime, um, an extra podcast. Do check out the other um, editions of the the podcast. Uh, I like to have as many interviews on the podcast as I can. If you are a specialist in in a subject that touches on law and order or crime or punishment in Australian history, I want to hear from you. Just jump on Facebook, go to Roy Malloy Author and uh, send me a message. And uh, also make sure you check out the book series by the same name, The Dawn of Crime by Roy Malloy, and they're available online.